Friendship is not a biological or a sociological necessity. It's the only love that is absolutely deliberate. It will not push itself upon you. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Two uh, arch enemies get in a car crash in the middle of the night and they get out of their cars and they're, un- and they're uninjured. And the first one says to the second one, he said, man, he said, uh, we're both fine. This is a sign from God. We should mend our differences and become friends. And the second one says, man, I agree. I think you're right. The first one suggests, he said, well, man, I... I, I've got, I got some whiskey in my car. Let's toast to our newfound friendship. What do you think about it? He said, that's a good idea. So he goes and gets the whiskey and pours them each a toast. And, and he says, here's to our friendship. And that uh, second guy takes his uh, drink and he drinks it down. But he notices the first guy doesn't drink his. And he says, well, man, aren't you going to drink to our friendship? And the guy says, yes, I am. But I'm going to wait till the cops get here. <laughs> <laughs> Not all friendships are created uh, equal. And uh, so every so often on a Sunday, we will, we will say to our church family, hey, invite your neighbors and your friends to come and be with us today. And, and I'll speak on friendship. And so that's what we've done. If you're here at the invite of someone, we're really, really glad you're here today. And, uh, and I do plan on speaking on friendship. So why am I going to speak on friendship? I, I'm going to speak on it because we need it. We, we need friendship in our life, but we're not very good at it. You know, polls in America are showing that we are, as a, as a culture, growing increasingly lonely. A survey by Cigna found that uh, 55% of adults said they feel like there's no one that really knows them. And amongst the young, younger folks, it's even, it's even a higher percentage. So this morning, what I want to do, and it took all week, guys. It took almost till Friday till I felt like this talk came together and gelled for me. But this morning, I would like to talk about the iconic friendship between Prince Jonathan and King David. Though at the time, David is not, uh, he's not a king at all. He's just a servant of Jonathan's father, King Saul. And for something to be iconic, they say two things have to be true. It has to be widely known and acknowledged by many for its excellence. That's what makes something iconic. And indeed, David and Jonathan's friendship really fits that bill. So my goal this morning is to help you and me note some characteristics of their iconic friendship. And uh, and maybe just friendship in general. I think some of the things that are true of their friendship would be true for any of our friendships. And so I want to point some of those things out, and then I want to help us make an application uh, to our lives. But just a bit of context, just in case, you know, you need some context for this. The people of Israel, God has chosen a fellow by the name of Abraham. He's, he's made him and his family into his nation, God's nation. And some time has gone by, they've grown in number, and they want a king. And so God gives them a king. He chooses a fellow by the name of Saul, who was a good-looking fellow. He uh, was kind of shy at the time. But uh, God chooses him, and, and he becomes their king. And, but over time, his, his kingship position went to his head. And uh, he, you know, he quit trusting in God. 
He kind of went out on his own and did a bunch of, bunch of things that God wouldn't necessarily have wanted him to do. And the Bible tells us that God removed his favor from Saul. And he said, hey, I'm going to appoint someone else to be your successor. And the person that God chose to succeed Saul was a shepherd boy by the name of David. David was a, a young man at the time, the youngest, I think, of seven brothers or maybe eight. When, when God sent the prophet Samuel to basically say to David, God is choosing you. When he did that, this is what he told Samuel. He said, don't look on the outside because people do not see what the Lord sees. For people see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So when Samuel chose or anointed, chose, you know, David and said, hey, you're the next king of Israel. You're the one that God is choosing. You know, nobody would have seen it. Nobody really would have seen. Like I said, he was just a young man. And but God is looking on his heart. And you can read all about that in 1 Samuel. In fact, this whole talk is going to come from 1 Samuel chapter 18 to chapter 23, though we're just going to look at assorted verses in that context. But you can read all about King David and how he becomes king and just what happens to him uh, with, with Saul in, those, in that book of 1 Samuel. Uh, but Saul has a son, and Saul's son's name is Jonathan. And Jonathan is a courageous young man. He's, he's a lot like David in that. He was wise. He was a good man. And Jonathan and David develop a friendship that in many ways stands as an ideal for all of us. And that's why we're going to actually look at it. I think we can find some characteristics for the kind of friendships that we desire and maybe the kind of friend we ought to be. So with that background, let's look at this iconic friendship. And I'd like to point out, uh, I think there's like six or seven things, something like that, that I'd like you to see from their friendship. So let's dive in. Here's the first one. Friendships are discovered by the way, if you don't know this, you, on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for you to jot down notes if you want to and kind of have an outline there so you can follow along. But friendships are discovered. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says, When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. And Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. How did, uh, how did David and Jonathan's friendship uh, start? Well, we don't actually know. We don't actually know how it happened. But I'm suggesting to you, from, from even from the text, that friendships are discovered. They're, they're not exactly necessarily chosen. They're sort of discovered. Uh, we don't really say to someone, I want you to be my friend. It doesn't really work like that. Friendships happen because we discover a commonality. We discover a shared interest with others. In his book on four loves, C.S. Lewis identifies four kinds of love in the Bible. He says there's eros, from which we get the word erotic. And so, I mean, that's the romantic love. That's, the, that's in part the sexual love that a husband and wife have for each other. Phileo is the second kind, friendship. That's a friendship love. Storge in the Bible is, refers to a family love. That's the familial love that a mom and dad have for their kids or the kids have for their parents or their siblings. And then there's the fourth type, which is what we call unconditional love or agape love, right? So those four kinds of loves are mentioned uh, in the Bible. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis makes this statement about phileo or friendship love. 
He says that it always takes a backseat to eros and storge. Because he says without romantic love, we wouldn't be here. And without storge love, we wouldn't survive. And, uh, and so phileo always comes after those. T- Tim Keller kind of makes this observation, and I think in part inspired by Lewis. But he says, in a liberal individualistic culture, that would be ours, romance is the most important relationship. In a traditional conservative culture, family, father, mother, siblings, brother, sister, that's the most important. In a socialistic, uh, communitarian culture, it's the civic relationships, it's your relationship with your neighbors. But every culture will always put friendship in the second place, in the back seat. Why? Because friendship is not, and I'm sure he's getting this from C.S. Lewis. Why? Because friendship is not a biological or a sociological necessity. It's the only love that is absolutely deliberate. It will not push itself upon you. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote it like this in, in his essay on friendship. He said, friendship is the least instinctive, least biological, least necessary of all the loves. It has the least commerce with our physical system. There's nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red or pale. Lewis goes on, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You too? You know? In other words, friendships begin when when we discover, wait a minute, you like that too? Or you think that way too? Oh, I thought I was the only one. C.S. Lewis says that's really the springboard of friendships. Now we can have erotic love and we can have friendship love in the same person. But to be honest with you, erotic love and friendship love or phileo love, they are are vastly, vastly different. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendships. Lovers are face-to-face, absorbed with one another. Friends are side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder on common interest. Again, here's Keller. He said, what makes a friend is not, oh, do you want to be my friend? But you too, again, he's quoting C.S. Lewis there. You think that it's, you think that's important too? You love that too? That is what creates a friend. And that's the reason why it's something unique. It brings something unique into our life. One more quote by Lewis. Again, along these same same lines, and he makes it really, really clear, I think. He says, this is why people who simply want friends can't, can't ever make them. The very condition of having friends is that you would want something else else beside friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And your honest answer is, I really don't care about that. I just want to be your friend. Then no friendship can arise. There, there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers against C.S. Lewis. And that's the reason why I believe that iconic friendships, and let me, let me just say any friendship, is something that you discover. And I don't mean by it's necessarily totally on accident, right, that you discover it, but I, but I mean it's something you find not because you're necessarily trying, but because you, you find someone who's going the same direction as you, who, who thinks the same way as you, or who enjoys the same things as you. There's a, there's a commonality about the two of you. So let's go back to David and Jonathan. What drew them together? What made their friendship so strong? Well, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just simply says they met And all of a sudden, they're these incredible friends. So I'm going to speculate a little bit. Uh, And again, I think it's fair to do that. Just know that's what I'm doing, right? Why did did David and Jonathan become friends? I, I have this thought. Maybe they became friends over their love for God. 
And I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. I'm just simply saying that, that one thing about David was that he had a heart for God. We'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But David had a heart for God. He loved God. Remember, he fought against Goliath. And I mean, he wasn't afraid. He just had, his, he had absolute confidence in God. As you'll see as we walk through their friendship this morning, you'll notice, I think you'll notice anyway, that Jonathan really is the guy whose, whose heart seems to be connected to God and who has this, this incredible faith in God. So I'm wondering if maybe what drew them together was their love for, their love for God. Here's another speculation. Maybe it was their courage. You know, they both saw in each other this courage that drew them into this friendship. Um, we, we all know of David's courage, right? With Goliath, everybody else is just shaking in their boots and David gets five stones, runs out against a guy nine feet tall with a, with a, with a spear, like a weaver shaft and whatever all that looks like, right? But I mean, he, he's not afraid. He's trusting in God, right? He's courageous. But what about Jonathan? You remember the story about Jonathan? He's down in the gully and the enemy's up on the hill and he's with his, he's with his caddy. Not his golf caddy, his, uh, his sword-bearing caddy, right? The guy's, whatever that means, he's, he's his sword-bearer, right? And, and he, he says to his sword-bearer, he says, you know, if they call us up there, I think God's going to give them into our hand. We're going to go up and fight them. But if they don't call us to come up, we're not going to go up. And so the enemy, I don't remember the Amorites or who it was, but they see the Philistines, they see Jonathan in the gully, and they say, hey, Jew, come on up here. And he says, let's go. And Jonathan went up with his armor bearer, and the two of them fought this group of men, and they won. That takes courage. That takes courage. Jonathan was a man of courage. Whatever it was that they discovered it brought them together in a friendship and, and they would work on developing that friendship. And so that brings me to my second, my second point about friendship. And if friendships are discovered, you know, we, we find them because we're going, we're shoulder to shoulder with someone. We're walking in the same direction. We're doing, we love the same things. But, but once discovered, friendships need to be developed. And so in 1 Samuel 18, 3, right after it tells about their friendship, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Friendships are discovered on commonality, shoulder to shoulder, but they're forged and developed through commitment, mutual commitment. And here we read Jonathan and David uh, made a covenant with each other. And Jonathan is the more powerful here. He's the prince. He's the heir to the kingdom, right? He's the more powerful. David is nothing, right? So Jonathan, at this point, David is nothing other than maybe, yeah, I guess at this point, he's already been anointed king. God's already said he's going to be the next king, but he really, he's nothing as far as position goes at this point. And so really, it's Jonathan who is the instigator of this covenant, I think. And it's a covenant is an agreement. And so they're making an agreement together. And we, we're not told what the agreement is here, but I want to suggest to you that the agreement is they're making their friendship a priority. Now, I'm going to read to you later on uh, in an exchange between the two of them that they make, and it says, you know, remember the agreement we made, how we would just, we would love each other to the next generation. Our kids would love each other. Remember that? I think that's what this is talking about. Um, Friendships, iconic friendships are developed and, and, and they make a covenant here. And the thing about a covenant is they're mutual. It takes two to make a friendship, right? You, you've, you've got to have two people that want to invest in it. Two people that have discovered, hey, hey, you too. And, and, they, and they mutually invest in the relationship. Again, I want to read you C.S. Lewis, which I just quoted you. I want to read it to you again. 
Friendships are built not by focusing on the relationship. They are built by sharing the same path. Doing, well, I hadn't read you this. Doing the same thing. They are not built shoulder to shoulder. They are built shoulder to shoulder, not by face to face focus. And so, so that's what we're talking about here. There's a mutuality in the development of this friendship. Number three, iconic friendships involve sacrifice. 1 Samuel 18.4. Then Jonathan, Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And every commentator that you will read about that verse, they will all say the same thing. Jonathan is not exchanging t-shirts with his buddy. Jonathan, what he's actually doing is in essence saying to David, you, my friend, are the next king of Israel. I mean, Jonathan is making a sacrifice here in this friendship. He's saying, I recognize it. God has anointed you. How does, David, how does Jonathan know that? Well, we don't know how Jonathan knows that. Evidently, everybody knows it because Saul, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, because God has anointed David, Saul is going to become really bitter towards David. He's going to want to kill David. He's going to try very, very hard to kill David because he wants Jonathan to inherit the kingdom. But Jonathan is different. Jonathan is, he's heard God and he believes God. What does the Bible say? How do we please God? We believe him, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So faith, and and of course, this defines faith for us there as seeking after God and believing that he exists. But Jonathan here believes the Lord. He's filled with faith. And he says, you're going to be the next king. And he takes off his tunic, his his sword, everything that he has that symbolizes his reign. And he gives it to David. Now I added in your notes, you may note this, but this is the only point that I put the modifier iconic before a friendship, because I think this can be true of all of our friendships, but it's definitely true of an iconic friendship. There has to be sacrifice because the Proverbs tell us that there can be all kinds of friendships that are not sacrificial. There can be all kinds of friendships that are just, they're selfish and self-motivated. Proverbs 19.4, bring, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Did you get that? Wealth brings a lot of new friends, but a poor man, his one and only friend, deserts him, right? Proverbs 19.6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend who gives gifts. Sacrifice is the ultimate example of a great friendship, because that's what Jesus said. No greater love has any friend than this, that he what? Lay down his life. The ultimate sacrifice. I'm willing to die for, for my friend. A British poet, Lord Byron, was born with a club foot. And because of that, he wasn't able to enter into a lot of activities and stuff like that when he was a kid. But Lord Byron was still a, a young man, a young boy of great courage. And even though he couldn't, you know, his friendships, I guess, were built, they weren't built around sports and that sort of thing. But anyway, one day he came upon one of his friends who was being beat to a pulp by a bully. And then he didn't have, he didn't have the physical prowess to defend the boy. But this is what Lord Byron did. He went up to the bully and he said to him, how many punches are you planning on giving my friend? And the bully said, what's it to you? And he said, because if you please, I would take half of them. So let me ask you, how many friendships do you have? Or how many, what kind of friend are you? Are you willing to take the punches of a bully for for a friend? Do you sacrifice? Sam Rabin was the speaker of the house for the longest time, longest running time. 
And uh, not that that's necessarily important to the story, but he was there for a long time. And there's a story of, of his sacrifice for a friend. And I, and I want to show this one along with Lord Byron's. I want to use this one because I want to say, when I'm talking about friendship and sacrifice, I'm not necessarily talking about giving your kingdom or necessarily giving your life. I mean, those are the ultimate sacrifices. or They've got to rank up at the, at the top. But there are all kinds of sacrifices we can make for our friends along the way. But anyway, um, Sam Rabin uh, had a friend whose teenage daughter was suddenly killed one, one night. So the next morning, uh, he went to the house and he knocked on the door. And uh, when they opened it up, there was uh, the speaker, Rayburn, standing there. And his friend um, opened the door. He said, Jay, and I, I guess that's just a, a letter for his name. He said, Jay, just came by to see what I could do to help you. And the father replied, you know, obviously in his grief, he said, there's nothing you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're, we're making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Raven said, have you had coffee this morning? And he said, no, we haven't had time to even think about breakfast. So Raven said, well, I'm coming in to make coffee and breakfast for you. So he went into the kitchen, started making coffee and breakfast for the family. When, when the man came back in, he said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast with the president this morning. And, uh, and Rabin said, I-, I was, but I called the president and told him that I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. You see, sacrifice. Number, whatever number, four, I think. Friendships require loyalty. First Samuel 19. Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. Of course, by now Saul is, you know, he's, he's really a mess. But Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. We've already read that. So he told him, my father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in the secret place and stay there. And I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. And when I see what he says, I'll tell you. So Jonathan didn't listen to his dad. His dad's the king. He says, I want you guys to kill David. Well, Jonathan's not going to kill David because friendships are built and developed on loyalty. And, and Jonathan is loyal to David. And so instead of killing him, he goes and tells him everything that his dad is trying to do to him. I've told you about uh, before about the British newspaper that ran the contest for the best definition of friendship. And some of the ones that were at the top were one who comes in, or one who multiplies our joys, divides our griefs, one who understands our silence. But the winner was this. You remember this? The winner was a friend is one who comes in when the whole world is going out. And that's loyalty, right? That's what Jonathan had for David. Proverbs agree that loyalty is a part of a great friendship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We we like to apply that to Jesus, but when Solomon wrote that, I don't think Jesus was on his mind. He just simply says, there are friends. There are friends who are absolutely loyal to you. Uh, Jim was just a little bit older than Philip, and uh, however they discovered their friendship, they discovered friendship, and they were friends all through uh, high school, all through college. They joined the military together, and they were they were stationed in Germany together, and they fought uh, together. And on this one particular day, they it was it was a really fierce battle, heavy gunfire, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and their, their leaders say retreat. And so Jim is retreating, coming back with, he notices that Philip's not retreating. And so when he gets back, he can't find Philip. He says to his commanding officer, let me go. And the guy said, nope, you can't go. And he didn't obey. And he ran back into 
back into gunfire, looking for Philip, calling his name. A short time later, they saw him coming out carrying Philip. When he gets back out, his commanding officer berates him for that and says how foolish it is, you, that what an outrageous risk for your friend who is dead, and there was nothing you could do. And this is what Jim said. He said, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. Before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come. Jonathan and David had a loyal friendship. And just a quick note about loyal friendships. Loyal friendships don't mean we never confront one another. It never means we don't correct one another. That's not what we're talking about. You know, the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about a friend who sticks with us and who is there for us. The next one. Friendships compel us to defend one another. In 1 Samuel 19, 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father, Saul. He said to him, the king should not sin against his servant, David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. He took his life in his own hands when he struck down the Philistine and the Lord brought about a great victory for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan's advice and swore an oath that surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So Jonathan summoned David and they brought him back into the palace. Jonathan was not only loyal to David, but he defended David. And, and uh, you might say, well, this is really, uh, you're making a distinction without a difference because if you're loyal to someone, you're going to defend them. And that's, that's true. But I, but I see a nuance of difference there. I can, I can be loyal to you and, and maybe not want to get involved in defending you. But, but Jonathan confronted his father. You know, you're wrong, he told him. You are sinning against an innocent man. My favorite friend story, and you've heard it a lot, but my favorite friend story is the Brooklyn Dodger one about uh, Jackie Robinson. First time, first black player at the end of the major leagues, and he's uh, taunted mercilessly at every game. He's spit on, he has fastballs thrown at his head, racial slurs from the dugout and from the stands, and on this one particular day, it was really, really bad. And uh, I mean, it was just a fevered pitch. And uh, Pee Wee... Pee Wee Reese, who was a, a, a Southerner, a white guy, he calls timeout. He's the shortstop. He walks over to Jackie on second base and puts his arm around him and stands there until they shut up. And uh, that gesture, they say, spoke more than anything that had ever been done for Jackie than, than that right there. That was maybe what changed the tide. Basically, that gesture said, this man is my friend, and uh, I don't care what you guys say. So a friend defends people, uh, defends his friends. Over the years, people have um, made, uh, I've made statements that maybe haven't been the best statement to make, and, uh, and I've done things that maybe haven't been the best things to do, and people have drawn implications about my motives. And I have appreciated the countless friends I've had over the years where you have said to others, whether Jimmy said that, whatever, whatever he did, whatever he said, he didn't mean it that way, and I know you're wrongly interpreting it because I know Jimmy. And so I, I've appreciated that kind of defense. That is what friends do. I've got two more. 
Friendships are share, friendships share joys and sorrows. And I don't mean by this that we tell them to each other. I mean we actually feel them. So in 1 Samuel 20, 40, Jonathan had just given David the sign that it wasn't good back at the palace, that his dad was going to kill him. This is a little bit later. If you don't know the story, Saul goes in and out, in and out of loving David, hating David, etc. right? This is one of those times where, I mean, this is actually the last time that, uh, that David is there. But uh, Jonathan is now forced to tell David, man, you've got to run, man, because my dad is, he's, he's out to kill you. And so we pick up the story, 1 Samuel 20, 41. When the servant had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone easel, fell face down to the ground and paid homage three times. Now I'm going to interject something here. I think he's paying homage to Jonathan. And then, and then, and he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more. And Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance the two of us pledged. Here's what I was talking about earlier. Go in the assurance the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord when we said the Lord will be a witness between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And then David left and Jonathan went into the sea. A lot of emotion in this, in this exchange between David and Jonathan. And, and, and David is forced to flee and he recognizes the sacrifice of Jonathan. He bows down before him. They weep together. David weeps more. And some people have tried to make out of David and Jonathan's friendship something romantic, accusing them of uh, of homosexuality. But that is not what this is. This is friendship sharing, uh, sharing sorrow. When our hearts are broken or filled with joy, one thing we need, one thing we really need is we need someone to share that with us. Someone, if it's sorrow, who won't try to fix it. If it's joy, someone who is genuinely filled with joy over my joy. Uh, I, don't, I, I think this might have come sort of from that um, newspaper co- uh, contest, but I, I've said this a bunch of times over the last five years. Joy shared by a friend is joy, or joy shared by a friend is joy multiplied. Grief shared by a friend is grief divided. And I think that's true. Share your joy and you multiply it. Share your grief and you divide it. And I have a reference point for this. And that's in the dying of Shep. You know, I've told many of you individually, I may have told you from this desk, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But the the greatest comfort to me when Shep died, or the greatest, maybe not the greatest, I don't want to use too big a words, but one of the, all you had were the tears just streaming down your face. And when your tears were streaming down your face and you hugged me, I mean, that, that divided my grief. And, that's, and that is what friendship, the kind of friendship that Jonathan and David had, is the, it's the thing that made their friendship iconic. And it's the kind of friendship that I believe all of us want with others. And then the last thing, friendship is a source of encouragement. Later in the story, when King David's, uh, when when King Saul's men have discovered where David is hiding, they know where he, they know the general area where he is. Um, evidently, because of their relationship, Jonathan knows exactly where he is. And so, in chapter twenty-three, we, verse fifteen, we read this: David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come to take his life. So Saul's found him. He knows he knows Saul knows where he is. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh. And listen to this, and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, don't be afraid, 
For my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourselves will be you yourself will be king over Israel, and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it's true. And then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence, and afterward David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. What did Jonathan do? It says he encouraged David in his faith. I, you know, I started to say, I started to say that friendship is a source of spiritual encouragement. And, and it is. David, David is encouraged spiritually by, by Jonathan. But the thing about friendship is it's not just in the spiritual realm that we encourage one another. If, if we have a friend, if we have a friend, shoulder to shoulder, somebody going that, that we've discovered and we're developing, what happens is we encourage each other in every area of life. I mean, in ministry, in work, in, in, in marriage, and just about everything, we seek to encourage one another. And don't you just love the humility of Jonathan? Tell me, don't you love that? I mean, I do, man. I mean, it just, I, I can't imagine John, what Jonathan just said to David is, is born out of his faith, his trust in the word of God, right? Jonathan has heard what God has said, and he believes God. But I love this. You will be king, and I will be second in command. I love the humility of that statement. Now, um, it never gets to happen the way Jonathan thought it was going to happen. Actually, David will become the next king of Israel, but Jonathan will never be his second in command because Jonathan will be killed by his enemies. He doesn't get to be the second in command, but it's kind of neat, isn't it, to see how excited Jonathan was about being the second in command? I think that's pretty cool. I can't think about encouraging a friend without thinking of Carly, uh, Car- Carol King's song, um, You Got a Friend. Uh, I ask Alexa to play it quite often. I know. Micah, do you know what Alexa is? Just says. <laughs> but I have an Alexa, and I say, Alexa, will you play I, uh, I've Got a Friend, or You Got a Friend by Carol King? And, and these are the words, just for if you haven't heard it in a while. It says, when you're down and in trouble, and you, don't, and you need a helping hand, and nothing, whoa, nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me, and soon I'll be there to brighten up even your darkest nights. And that's what Jonathan did for David at Horish. The second verse says, if the sky above you should turn dark and full of clouds and the old north wind should begin to blow, keep your head together and call my name out loud and soon I will be knocking upon your door. And in the chorus, chorus so good, you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. I'm, I'm resisting singing to y'all, okay? <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah, baby, to see you again. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you got to do is call. And I'll be there. I'll come running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a friend. You've got a friend. Iconic friends, iconic friendships are built upon a, a commitment to encourage one another. Jonathan heard David needed him, and he went to Horish and he said, David, keep your chin up. God has spoken. It's going to be all right. My dad is never going to get you. <laughs> that's so great. When I told her, that's, that's it. That's it for the friendship thing. But um, when I told Anne I was speaking on friendship, this was her first statement to me. Oh, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> she said, such messages are so crushing. I think those were your words, weren't they? 
Such messages are so crushing. And when we talk about iconic friendships between David and Jonathan, or, or any such a friendship, they, this, this thing of friendship can indeed be greatly defeating. And for a couple of reasons. One reason is that we don't have a friendship like this. We haven't discovered that side-by-side friend yet where we can exclaim, man, you too, I didn't know you liked that. We haven't found that friend yet. And uh, to talk about such a great friendship when we maybe want that friendship, that's hard. That can be devastating. No friend yet. But I think it can also be crushing for another reason when you talk like this. And when you talk about friendship like this, it can be crushing because we tend to measure ourselves against this model. And if we're really honest, we we might say, you know what? I'm not that kind of friend. I'm not that loyal. I'm not that sacrificial in my friendships with people. I, you know... um, yeah, and we just look at all those things that David and that Jonathan was to David, even more than David was to Jonathan, and we say, yeah, I don't, um, I don't have, I, I'm not that kind of friend. And that itself can be crushing uh, to us. Um, yeah, that can be crushing to us. So I'd like to end this morning by telling you about a friend of mine. And I want to tell you about this friend because he helps me overcome both of these things that can be problematic in my life. You see, I'm talking obviously about Jesus, right? Because Jesus is my iconic friendship. On the last night of his life, before his death and uh, his resurrection, this is what Jesus told his disciples. Listen carefully. He said, this is my commandment. He's talking to his men that have been with him for three years. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Talking about himself there, obviously. But because the next verse says, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. This is such an incredible little section of scripture because God become one of us. You know, he created us out of nothing, but then he became one of us and he became one of us, he said, because I made you to be my friend. I want you to be my friend. He's telling his disciples that we we have to ask ourselves now, does that apply to us too as his disciples or is that just to to those guys? And and I'm going to just tell you it's for all of us. He said, I have loved you. I've sacrificed for you. I've been loyal to you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I've encouraged you by telling you all that God has planned for you. Jesus has been that friend. And I'll tell you something else that Jesus tells us by telling us that, that God wants to be our friend. He's telling us that God in himself, I think, is a friendship. You see, the thing about the biblical God, the thing about, the, about Jesus as God, the Christian God, he himself is a friendship within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, knowing and loving one another, they have a friendship within themselves. And, and now he's inviting all of us to be a part of that. You talk about an iconic friendship, right? He's inviting us to be a part of that iconic friendship. Man, I don't think Michael's in here. I think he's helping with the kids. But man, I thought Michael did a great job this morning with the song choices. And man, I am a friend of God. What, a, what an incredible song. I am a friend of God. It's not because, is, is it shoulder to shoulder, really? Am I a friend of God because we're doing something shoulder to shoulder? 
No, but, but I am a friend of God. He, he calls me friend. And he invites me to walk alongside him shoulder to shoulder. He's inviting me to walk alongside him. So, so my iconic friendship with Jesus, you know, if, if we never get a human friendship like this, I mean, because, man, let's just be honest, they're hard to come by, aren't they? They're hard to come by. And uh, so if we don't ever have a, a friendship like that, that we all want it, that we should, we should recognize Jesus is our iconic friendship. He is our, our friend. But here's, what about the other thing about me not measuring up and not being the kind of friend that we've been talking about? Well, the neat thing about my friendship with Jesus is that as I walk with him in my friendship, he changes me. And he changes me and he makes me a better friend. And he says, as I have loved you, so you love one another. So what he does is he comes along and as, as, as he lives with me and in me and he's my friend, he's changing me and he's teaching me. And he's teaching me to live sacrificially. And he's teaching me to, to care for my friends, be loyal to them, to defend them, to encourage them. He's helping me become the better friend. He said, you are my friends if you, if you do what I have commanded you. And what has he commanded us to do? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? To love our neighbors as our friends and to love our enemies. And that's what he's told. He said all the, not including the third one, just the first two. He said, everything else that I've ever asked you to do, it falls under one of those two things, loving God or loving people, right? Uh, I just threw loving our enemies in there because we, we tend to forget that Jesus told us quite often to love our enemies. So as 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 we walk with Jesus in this friendship, he teaches us how to, to love like, like he did and to be that kind, of, that kind of friend. Here's the corollary. The more you invest in the great friendship you have with Jesus, with God, the more he will equip you to be the kind of friend you need to be to others. The more friendship, our friendship with Jesus grows, the more I become able to sacrifice for my friends the more I'm able to defend my friends, the more I'm able to be loyal to my friends, the more I'm able to encourage my friends, the more I'm able to share in their joys and in their sorrows, their losses and in their gains. So at the Feast of Friendship, it is God who has provided everything we need. So if I could this morning, I'd like to encourage you. Make him your iconic friendship. Make him your iconic friend. Make him your friend, your greatest friend. The proverb says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm telling you that, you know, I, I doubt Solomon knew it, but he was ultimately referring to Jesus. So make Jesus that friend. Develop that friendship with Jesus. Remember, you discover a friendship, and then you develop it. So we need to develop our friendship with Jesus. And then as you walk with him, he'll teach you how to, to walk shoulder to shoulder with other friends. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.